episode 10. <gasps> Double dun, dun, dun. digits. We made it. 10 oh whole God. episodes. Thank you guys so much for still being here. Yes. We appreciate you so much. If you're new, welcome. Um, yeah. Yeah. Very excited that you're here. Yeah. Um, Full disclosure, we're double recording. Yeah, we did. We just recorded the last one, so... Uh, because I am incapable of staying in town uh, for more than a <laughs> couple okay. weeks. Well, so. next weekend is Labor Day weekend, so yeah. it's everybody's probably got plans. True, so. true. I'll be going up to Atlanta, um, A to C family, but B uh, for the Lord of the Rings drop, and we're going to be jealous. cooking... For like a whole day, so we can eat like hobbits. But I'm so jealous. It should be. It should be a good time. I want to get in your luggage, Alexander. Like <laughs> <laughs> I that sounds so cool. Yeah, I'm very excited for that to come out. I hope it's good. I really, really hope it's good. Yeah. I really want to watch more of the Sandman. I've only watched <gasps> the first episode. You must watch more at it least five times phenomenal. because I keep Why? trying to watch it with other people. Uh, <laughs> we're on episode like eight, maybe. I, I really want to watch excellent. more. It looks so good. The first episode was so. Good. It's one of those things that's really up my alley and really not up my partner's alley, and he's the one that's obsessed with it. Really? Yeah. Okay. He's like, can we watch more Sandman? And I was watching it with Logan, and he was like, it really reminds me of Good Omens. And I was like, well, yeah. You know why? <laughs> and I told him it's one of the same authors. That's awesome. Um, And then he got very excited because he found out Good Omens 2 is coming out. Yeah. Next month? Soon. I think it's I September. Yeah. So that should be. I'm very excited to read it. I love the criticism that uh, Neil Gaiman got. People were like, "You can't just make up a new thing just because something's popular." And he's like, "You guys are gonna freak when you find out how the first book was created." <laughs> <laughs> it was fantastic. Oh my gosh. Um, speaking of haters, I got my. <laughs> so I started making TikToks mm -hmm. uh, to try and I don't know advertise the pod free podcast ad pod podvertising yeah um and i got my first hater <laughs> and i guess uh people don't realize that even haterade interactions count as interactions <laughs> and so it ended up being our most viewed video mm -hmm. so um a if you want to check uh me telling you about shit you've already heard <laughs> if you're listening to this podcast uh on tiktok check us out at uh history was on tiktok yeah. Or maybe History Was Podcast, I think. But mm -hmm. um, it was hilarious. Yeah, and I, it, was, it, was... it had been such a long time since I had received, like, internet hate. <laughs> yeah. Like, it had been such a long time. I was really hoping. It, it was refreshing. <laughs> I was really hoping everybody was going to be nice. Like, I hear, it's like, a lot internet. of. No. I know. But I hear, like, a lot of podcast people and it's like. Or people on TikTok be like, and my fans are just so nice. And well, like, oh, they, the whole community is just perfect towards me. And I'm like, that's so refreshing because I feel like so well, often they, everyone's awful. I think they probably also block a lot of people. Oh, that makes sense. If you have fans, you have people who hate you. That's sad. I was, I. Except for us. Everyone loves us. I, <laughs> I don't know about that. I met. Okay. They all love us. They love us. But yeah, no, I hope everybody does love us, and um, if you love us enough, we have a Patreon. Um, <laughs> we need to fix it. Also, um, because um, this is the History Woes podcast. I don't think we mentioned that. No. I'm Lexi. I'm Morgan. 
Um, but yeah, for those who are history, uh, honorary history hosts on the Patreon, um, we're gonna change up the sign up process so that people can um, put in their address when they sign up because yeah. we want to send you guys some stuff. Um, I ordered a couple things, but they didn't come out how I wanted, so I'm gonna reorder them and then we're gonna send those out. So. Um, we'll probably change up the process. I know that there are ways that you can, cause I have, I subscribe to some Patreons where I must put my address in because they did send me things, some things. So we'll Excellent. fix that. We'll fix that. Yeah. Make that a thing. Um, we're learning. We're trying our best. Yep. Yep. I got some awesome stationery. I hope you guys really like it. Um, but yeah, so yeah, we'll, we'll be the, sending all that out. Probably with, if not, cause it takes a little while because the stuff I order is custom. But as soon as it comes in, I'll have Lexi uh, write the cards. Because if I write it, you won't be able to read it. Uh, and then we'll get those sent out. You have the handwriting of a serial killer. <laughs> Wait, <Lisa. laughs> <laughs> the handwriting of a serial killer. Uh, if you don't know what that's from, you should go watch Steel Magnolias. Oh my gosh, Titanium Pansies. Go watch it. <laughs> There's a lady that I used to work with who could never remember the name of that movie so she would just put some kind of metal and sunflower after <laughs> she's like titanium pansies aluminum geranium exactly um and that's, that's she, fantastic. She never remembered still they love those. um that is also another movie i turn off before it ends yeah a hot right. tip um at halloween time that's the end of that movie and everybody lives happily ever after that's what i do or i mean if you like the full Emotional journey. Watch the end. Nope. <laughs> Thank you. Life is actually sad enough as an mm -hmm. adult. I need no additional sadness. Uh, my mother-in-law to be messaged. No, we were on the phone. I think. Mm -hmm. Um, and she she called and she was like, "Oh, there's this movie. You have to watch this movie." I was like, "Okay." And she tells me, and I don't remember what it's about, mm -hmm. but uh, she's like, it's going to make you cry. <laughs> and I was like, I don't know how to tell you. I'm not watching a movie that's going to make me cry. Yeah. I, I, I don't want that. And I, I love that for people who do. But... It depends, like, how good the movie's supposed to be. Because, like, bas I think, like, movies don't get Oscars unless they're the worst thing you've ever seen. <laughs> like emotionally like not necessarily True. bad content like just, if it, it won an oscar unless it was for best animated feature and even then be vigilant um like despicable me made me ugly cry yeah so i have this thing where like i haven't seen a lot of the animated movies that came out between like 2005 That's and fair. now because a i don't have a child b i worked a lot yeah in my early 20s and I, I, I didn't have the time or the money to, like, go to the movie theater. So it mm -hmm. just wasn't a thing that I did, mm -hmm. really, like, after high school. Mm -hmm. So uh, we, my fiancé has a couple animated movies that he absolutely loves. Mm -hmm. And one of the ones I hadn't seen was Meet the Robinsons. And he made me sit down and watch it. It's and I one. ugly cried <laughs> at Meet the Robinsons. And then uh, we moved to well, recently we watched despicable me mm -hmm. that's a really good one too i <laughs> cannot tell you how hard i cried <laughs> like it i'm tearing up right now talking about it it was so rough to, like it was amazing but oh my goodness yeah 
my you whole heart in that movie. I was like, he's like, let's watch the second one. I was like, I can't. <laughs> Not emotionally stable to watch right. the second one. So, yeah, I movies. I think it's way less heartwarming, the second one. It's more, like, com- comedy. Okay, less, well, that's good. I think. But so yeah, it's but so when people are like, this movie is gonna make you cry. Like I can't even make it through the children's movies that are supposed to <laughs> be funny. Sometimes the children's movies are the worst in crap. Yeah, I think objectively, Meet the Robinsons and Despicable Me were like low on the suspect list. Yeah, for sure. Um, well, because like the ones that make a lot of people cry are like all of Nicholas Sparks' material ever and all of the Oscars movies, uh, and you're like. Shh. Whatever. Um, but then also, my fiancé is like, I was adopted as an infant, for those of you who don't know. Um, and Meet the Robinsons has an adopted kid, and then in Despicable Me, he's adopting these three little girls. Yeah. And so, like, directly to my heartstrings. Yeah. And he's like, this is a great movie! <laughs> and it is. But man! So when people are like, yeah, this one will make you cry. I'm like, I don't want that. I read the news when I want to cry. I just don't read the news anymore. But anyway, I get some um, shit off Twitter sometimes. I think we got some uh, criticism, friendly criticisms, from our last time we had to double record that we ranted too much. Oh, that's right. So maybe <laughs> end, uh, end rant here. We, you're welcome, Eric. Uh, um, get to let's get our to our story. It. We right can, I don't know, it. spy into the future. <laughs> So, this episode is all about some spies. Dana 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 na dana dana dun 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 Um it's actually just where we um We're just singing. We're just gonna too. sing spy songs, notable spy songs. That's that's the first story. Um You're I welcome. brought a red wine. It's a Zinfandel, which I don't know what that means, but it's not a cab. Um, well, Zinfandel is a type of grape, right? Yeah, and... uh, it does not give you anything on the back other than talking about its wine. But it's right. called Inconspicuous, because, you know, spies. It's from Healdsburg, California. Mm-hmm. It's 15.5%. It's got a cool label. The label is very dope. Mm-hmm. It's very pretty. I mm-hmm. like it a lot. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have not tried this yet. No, we're going to try it now. It's a very pretty label. Alrighty. Mm-hmm. Zinfandels are generally pretty good. I think you'll like them. I think so. I I think I've had them before, but I don't know. All right, and cheers. It smells so good. It smells so jammy. It is jammy. Burns. Well, it's 15 and a half. Oh, I guess that makes sense. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. But it is jammy. That. Very jammy. It's alcohol forward. Kind of sweet, but I think that's more to do with the alcohol. Mm Mm-hmm. But I like it. Yeah, not it's bad. It's good. It's bueno. All right, yeah. Because uh, my story is long, so yeah. Let's jump into it. Now, you don't know anything about this, so I'm very excited. I don't. I, I love it more when we blind. don't know. I love that so much. I like that know. the one that I am doing, you should know, and you have no idea. Oh, we're going to get into that, yeah. I know <laughs> a little bit. I watch show. We'll, we'll, I'm we'll, excited we'll, we'll for both of these. Yeah. Yep, it's going to be a great episode. You're all welcome in yes. advance. Yes. So I'm going to cover the Baltimore plot. Featuring Kate Warren. Um, I was going to do just Kate Warren, but the Baltimore plot was just too dope for me not to talk about. In Tell me everything. I'm going to. I really hope that I do this story justice. Um, it will. reads like a spy thriller. <gasps> and I'm really surprised that more people don't know about it. 
or they do know about it and it was just me fucking off during class. But today we're going to be talking about the Baltimore plot. Um, but as always, What's I got to set, set a scene. <laughs> Ooh, <laughs> I got to gotcha. I gotta fill you in on some background. I'm so excited. I'm excited that you're excited. Uh, the details will still be pretty good um, for the for the back part um, before we get to the, the juicy parts. Um, okay. Can we skip to the good part? <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. This is definitely the second episode. Oh, my gosh. Right. <laughs> uh, we're going to start in the early 1840s. Um, an immigrant named Alan J. Pinkerton has immigrated to Illinois, where he makes a living as a cooper, which is someone who makes wooden barrels, casts, etc., which is harder than you think it is. Um, and I imagine where the last name Cooper comes from. That's cool. Um, I didn't that's know that. That's a fun fact that I'm guessing it. Oh, there's um, a word for that when your last name is your profession. Yeah, I don't remember, I don't remember, remember the word. As early as 1844... Pinkerton worked for the Chicago abolitionist leaders, and his shop was a stop on the Underground Railroad. Um, Pinkerton became interested in police work when he came across a band of counterfeiters, and he observed their movements for some time before reporting them to the police. Here's hoping the police were nicer than Isaac Newton about counterfeiting. <laughs> um, or the people who arrested George Floyd. Oh, yeah. So that. <laughs> um, Pinkerton was then appointed as the first police detective in Chicago. He would later go on to open the Pinkerton National Detective Agency, which is still in operation. That's today. where I know that name. Mm-hmm. Okay. At the height of their heyday, the Pinkerton Pinkerton Detective Agency was the largest private law enforcement organization in the world. Their logo was an open eye, and they adopted the slogan, We Never Sleep, which, as you'll find later, is probably more to do with anxiety than vigilance, but you be the judge. Or drugs. <laughs> Maybe. Um, they became kind of problematic later on because a bunch of rich people hired them to break up un- unions, but um, they have since retired from that game. And the company now focuses on threat intelligence, risk management, executive protection, and active shooter response. Um, let's get back to the 1800s. Figuratively. Not literally ever. Um, <laughs> in, Unless yeah. we get a time machine. Um, it's not going to be nice to us there, probably, in the 1800s. we're women. Um, uh, in 1856, Alan Pinkerton was busy at work when a woman walked into his office looking for a job. He assumed the lady must be mistaken, as he was not looking for a secretary. But the woman assured him she was not in the wrong place. She was there to become his newest detective. This woman's name was Kate Warren. The 23-year-old widow was responding to a local advertisement in a Chicago paper. A widow at 23? Yeah. Looking to employ uh, new detectives at the Pinkerton Agency. Pinkerton, in his book, The Spy of Rebellion, recounts their interaction thusly. I was surprised to learn Kate was not looking for clerical work. At the time, such a concept was almost unheard of. It is not the custom to employ women detectives. Kate argued her point of view eloquently, pointing out that women could be most useful in worming out secrets in many places, which would be impossible for a male detective. It's way more eloquent than I could ever be like, fuck you, pay me. (laughs) Exactly. Um, A woman would be able to befriend the wives and girlfriends of suspected criminals and gain their confidence. Men become braggarts when they are around women who encourage them to boast. Kate also noted, women have an eye for detail and are excellent observers. Kate had impressed Pinkerton, 
and she was hired as America's first female detective. And soon... That's very cool. Yeah. And soon, Kate would be uh, able to prove her argument and become one of the leading Pinkerton agents. In 1859, Pinkerton assigned Warren to a case involving a railroad delivery business called the Adams Express Company. Someone had embezzled $10,000 from the company in Montgomery, Alabama, and Kate was going to find out who. In today, today's dollars. <laughs> it was like over like $300,000. billion. <laughs> yeah, dollars. Exactly. I don't remember. Um, yeah. Um, Alan Pinkerton is suspected it was Nathan Maroney, the manager of the Adams Express Montgomery office, but he had been unable to prove it. So... Kate switched to a southern accent and went undercover as Madame Imbert, a wealthy southern woman. She ingratiated herself with Maroney's wife by telling her that she had a difficult past and also a shameful secret. Her husband was in jail for forgery. Mrs. Maroney, inspired by Kate's confession, trusted and confided in her new friend and her husband, uh, sorry, that her husband, had stolen money from his employer. And with the help of other spies in the network, the case was solved. The story was recounted by Alan Pinkerton in a novel called The Expressman and the Detective. During my research on this story, the Adams Company had originally dispatched a young, handsome man to seduce the secret out of Mrs. Maroney because he thought it was easier and she was a loose woman. But Mrs. Maroney did bone the guy, but basically hit it and quit it and left the poor creature heartbroken good <laughs> I, I like, love that for her i like that you i thought you might like that detail <laughs> <laughs> um yeah this brings us up to date of the uh to the baltimore plot the year is 1860 mm-hmm. president abraham lincoln has just been elected the south is the opposite of happy <laughs> <laughs> president lincoln and company are beginning to plan his whistle-stop train tour before his upcoming inauguration, which I did not know this, but that just means he's throwing a tour around cities and he's getting there by a train. Mm-hmm. Um, however, in Philadelphia, a railway executive, Samuel Morse Felton, had begun to hear more and more troubling rumors that the secessionists were planning to capture the capital of D.C. and destroy all railways northeast and west of it to prevent... Union troops from getting them and prevent the inauguration of the president-elect. For those of you who may not know, (laughs) secessionists were those seceding or breaking off from the United States. Um, And that would result in the American Civil War. And then they stormed the Capitol. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Uh, One of the main reasons, but not the only reason, but a pretty big fucking reason... Uh, for this was slavery. The South was dependent on agriculture and they wanted to keep being able to own people to work the land. And Lincoln was an abolitionist, meaning he was in favor of ending this practice or at the very least, he didn't want the practice to remain ongoing, but didn't originally advocate for immediate emancipation. Uh, While he did sign the Emancipation Proclamation, I'm quite certain that by today's standards, he would be considered wildly racist. Um, Historical figures are complicated. It's uncomfortable. Um, but this time he is considered a tyrant by the South, um, because of his views. And this guy Felton thinks the South is going to screw up his railroad and the inauguration. So he employs none other than the Pinkertons to get on the case. After Alan Pinkerton got Felton's letter, he arrived at his doorstep only two days later. Felton told Pinkerton of his concerns and he determined 
uh, he was going to throw everything he had at avoiding this catastrophe. Pinkerton quickly deduced that if anything was going to happen, it would have to be in Baltimore, Maryland. All possible train routes that would lead the president-elect through this station. Much of Felton's line was on Maryland soil, and times were on edge. In recent days, four more states, Mississippi, Florida, Alabama, and Georgia, had followed the lead of South Carolina and seceded from the Union. Louisiana and Texas would soon follow. Maryland was filled with anti-Northern sentiment in the months leading up to Lincoln's election, and at that very moment, when Felton was confiding in Pinkerton about the plot he had uncovered, the Maryland legislature was debating whether to join the other states in secession. The inauguration would be six weeks away, and the two men concluded that whatever was going to happen was going to happen in weeks or days. Um, Pinkerton left Felton and went to Baltimore and brought his top agents. Among them was Harry Davies, um, who would prove a vital spy um, in Pinkerton's network. Davies had spent many years in the South and knew the customs and important people of the time. Pinkerton's initial plan was simple. Distribute the network of spies throughout bars, boarding houses, and parlors across the city to mix with the locals and keep an ear out for any credible th threats. Uh, this included the reprisal of Kate Warren's Southern Bell role. She attended parties with the emblem of secession emblazoned on her dress. She became friendly with the wives and sisters of the men intent on screwing everything up, <laughs> and in doing so, helped provide vital information to Pinkerton. Pinkerton recounted this time in Baltimore and wrote, the opposition to Mr. Lincoln's inauguration was most violent and bitter, and a few days sojourn in this city convinced me that great danger was to be apprehended. Pinkerton himself went undercover in Baltimore as a southern stockbroker with money to spare and a large interest in cotton, one of the South's more lucrative trades dependent on slavery. His companion, Davies, would assume a role of an, an extreme anti-union or anti-North man. Um, Pinkerton assigned him in one of Baltimore's best hotels, and he was to make himself known as a man willing to pledge loyalty and money to the Southern cause. Davies soon made friends with a man named Otis K. Hillard. This guy, he's not great. He drinks a lot. He's real passionate about secession. He really hates Lincoln, but he is exactly the type of guy that Davies was looking for, and the two became besties quickly. Oh, dear. <laughs> Pinkerton had expressly sent Davies into Hillard's path because he was a regular at Barnum's Hotel, where most night the elite with slaveholding interests could be found boozing it up and being douchebags. And Is so, this Barnum of Barnum and Bailey? I don't think so. Okay. But, I mean, it could be, but I don't think so. Because well, it um, does sound like a motherfucking circus in there, though. <laughs> it does sound like a circus of <laughs> douchebags. Um, so they thought this would likely be a good place for uh, to find rebels with the most to lose. Um, because they have slaves. Fair. Fuck them. Make um, them lose them. <laughs> exactly. Uh, during this time, the Whistle Stop Train Tour itinerary was released to the public, allowing the presence of the president-elect to be known across the U.S. People everywhere would be able to track the president's movements, which was not a thing they did at the time. And because he's traveling by train, which are almost always on time, his movements could be tracked with precision. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile... Pinkerton is making headway on infiltrating the ne'er-do-wells of Baltimore. Uh, during conversation with a local businessman, John H. Luckett, Pinkerton casually dropped the excitement of Lincoln traveling through Baltimore. Like, hey, that's exciting. 
Um, at this, Luckett became soft-spoken and said, He may pass through quietly, but I doubt it. Which isn't uh, suspicious at all. Zero out of ten at being good in a secret organization. That um, man should not be <laughs> given any secrets ever. So Pinkerton, I assume realizing this guy's a schmuck, hands him $25 and says, I am but a stranger to you, but I have no doubt that money is necessary for the success of this patriotic cause, and told him to make use of the money in the best manner possible for Southern rights. Hilariously, he also told him to watch his mouth, because you never know when Northern sympathizers might be listening. And this guy was like, cool, 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 cool. Want to come meet our leader? <laughs> I'm paraphrasing, but that's exactly what happened. Uh, this man... <laughs> Should be trusted with nothing. <laughs> yeah, there's a few of them that shouldn't have been trusted. Don't, anything. don't tell him where <laughs> you. Hi- I don't even know what you would hide, mm-hmm. but don't tell him. <laughs> yeah, no. Loose lips sink ships, friend. <laughs> he was the one. Anyway, go ahead. Um, Sorry. So this guy takes Pinkerton to meet Captain Cipriano Ferdinini. Ferdinini. Ferrandini. What a fun name. Are you sure these aren't circus people? Sabrina Ferrandini. The no, great he's Ferrandini. A, he's an Italian immigrant. Um, and they meet him at Bar Saloon on South Street in Baltimore that evening. <laughs> that evening. Um, Luckett tells Pinkerton that everybody loves this guy. And he has a plan not only to make sure that Lincoln never gets inaugurated. He plans to assassinate him. <gasps> Pinkerton is shook. Uh, he thought... He was going to stop people from blowing up a railroad. Turns out, he's been trying to stop an assassination. When Pinkerton meets Ferrandini, he is every bit the psycho he thought he'd be, saying the South must rule and that they should take any means necessary to prevent Lincoln from being confirmed. Adding storming the Capitol. Adding he must die and die he shall. Oh my goodness. At this point... Pinkerton had managed to piece together rumors about what the plot might be to assassinate Lincoln, thanks to Davies and Kate Warren. But he believes that Davies' frenemy, Otis Hillard, frenemy. Will, help him, will help them complete the details. And sure enough, the next evening, Hillard lets it drop that a group of national volunteers would soon draw to see who would be the lucky guy that gets to kill the president. Wait, they're just drawing straws? Mm-hmm. They're not like... You're the most experienced marksman. No. Not that I think that they should be trying their best to kill Lincoln, but, like, if you're going to do it, have some criteria. (laughs) I don't know, man. Uh, These were all patriots. Uh, Southern... I don't know where the fuck. Assholes. (laughs) They call themselves the same thing now. It's fine. But, but yeah. But they don't have... They've not developed criteria for whom gets to shoot the president. They're just drawing straws casting lots out here well yeah basically but i'm gonna tell you why in a second it was all right i'm sorry no you're fine it's it's i don't disagree with you um they could have planned it better but i'm (laughs) glad they didn't (laughs) like if you're gonna do it do it yep um so hillary tells them they're gonna get together davies is like i gotta get an invite so hillary goes to the powers that be and asks if his bestie can join their club and he goes back to Davies and tells him that if he swears an oath of loyalty, he can come to the meeting. Which, this must be why the South lost. He basically just said, if you pinky promise, you can join our secret meeting. <laughs> pinky um, promises are forever, Morgan. 
So the two go to the meeting, and the men there draw never. cards to see who the biggest asshole will be. Um, I'm never pinky promising with you for shit. <laughs> okay. You just think fair. those can be broken willy-nilly. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Um, so they're drawing cards. One of the folded cards held a red mark to denote who, the, who would be the assassin. And whoever got that card could tell no one. It would have to be a secret until the last second. Davy's card was blank, which he told Hillard and complained. They're that playing whoever... heads up seven up for murdering <laughs> the president. Yeah. Um, <laughs> he, um, so Davy's being this guy, he's like, man, but whoever gets that red card, what if they lose their nerve at the last second? And Hillard said, no worries, bruh. We thought about that already. There are eight cards with red marks to ensure at least one of the men would carry out the task. To this, Davies was like, ooh, oh, okay, that's so smart. I'm so tired. I'm going to go to bed now. Bye. And then speed walks to Pinkerton and tells him what he knows. By now, Pinkerton has deduced that the attack would occur when Lincoln departed the train in Baltimore. After getting off the train that brought him to Baltimore, he would need to ride by open carriage to the next train station in Baltimore, over a mile away, to get on the train that would take him to D.C. At some now point... you gotta walk. <laughs> you can't take that train. <laughs> at at That's some a point. mile, you gotta power walk. He's got that tall-ass hat, but he's gotta do it. <laughs> oh I'm my sorry. gosh. Well, yeah. So, <laughs> at some point, one of the assassins would make their move. So... What to do? Pinkerton devises a plan to get Lincoln out of Philadelphia on an early train that would arrive in Baltimore in the early morning hours under cover of darkness, and then get on an early train to Washington. Pinkerton goes to Philadelphia, where he meets his old friend, Felton, manager of the railroad, and tells him of the plot and his scheme. Real quick. Mm -hmm. Do you think Lincoln's hat blew off frequently? (laughs) I imagine most stovepots did, yeah. Or you think, like, they had, like... Sticky hat tack? Pins? Maybe hat well, pins. Did men use hat pins? I thought no, that was a ladies I, thing. I, they, I, All right. Maybe it's not Wendy where he was. Or maybe there was a specific guy who was assigned to his hat. And they were like, make sure the sucker stays <laughs> on. All right. Look, I'm, I'm just here asking the big question. <laughs> big hat questions? Yeah, I have no idea. <laughs> I got no idea. I don't know. All right. <laughs> Moving on. That's <laughs> fine. Um... By the time the assassins were ready, they would find that Lincoln was already safe in Washington. Pinkerton goes to Philadelphia, where he meets our old friend Belton, manager of the railroad, and tells him of the plot and his scheme. Belton tells him he will help him however he can. Pinkerton contacts another of his top operatives, Kate Warren. That's right. The scheme is going to need a woman's touch. Yes. And he lets her know her services will be needed in Philadelphia soon and to stand by for instructions. Pinkerton contacted his old friend, Norman Judd, who had been traveling with Lincoln, and urgently asked him to come to his hotel. Everybody's in Philly at this time. When Judd arrives, he tells him of the assassination plot and his plan for Lincoln's safety. He says the president must leave Philadelphia this evening on the 11 o'clock train to get the plan underway. Judd tells Pinkerton that he doubts the president will acquiesce to this plan. The best way to get him to agree is for him to see Pinkerton personally. It is now 9 o'clock. They have Two hours to get Lincoln on this train and to safety. They go to the hotel that Lincoln is staying at, and Judd sends a note asking for him to come to his room. When the president arrives, 
they tell him of the plot, and that he must come with them to get him to safety, and that if he kept to the published schedule, an assault of some kind would be made upon his person with a view to taking his life. But the president was unfazed by this news. Pinkerton would recount that Lincoln remained calm and self-possessed. His only sentiments appeared to be those of profound regret that the Southern sympathizers could be so far led away by the excitement of the hour as to consider his death a necessity for the furtherance of their cause. Lincoln really just sitting there like, well, haters gonna hate. I guess so. It's kind of sad considering how things eventually turn out. But that's not but this just, story. That's not this story. All right. But just imagine. <laughs> yeah. He's just like, well, he sucks just, to suck. Yeah. And just moves right. He's just like, See, well, that is how you should handle haters. <laughs> Good for him. He'd, um, I understand that doesn't work out for him in the long yeah. run. <laughs> but in this instance, good for him. Uh, so Lincoln tells the men. That he has made a promise to raise the flag over Independence Hall the next day. And he would be keeping that promise. In the afternoon, he was visiting the legislature in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. You could get someone else to put the flag up. No, you can't. (laughs) Apparently for him. After which, he would go with whatever plan they had. I cannot imagine the frustration Pinkerton feels at this point. Like, did you hear what I just said? We gotta go! We gotta go! Um, I'm trying to save you. <laughs> they defer to the president, and Pinkerton furiously begins to start drawing up a new plan, which takes him the entire night. Uh, the next morning, Pinkerton meets again with Judd and tells him the overarching plan will remain the same. They must get Lincoln through Baltimore ahead of schedule. After the flag raising, pres- the president and company departed for Harrisburg so the president could visit the legislature mm-hmm. <laughs> while Pinkerton stayed in Philly to complete his plans. Yeah, he's really doing his best. Um, At 1.30 p.m., Lincoln meets with the governor, Andrew Curtin, who Lincoln told about his plan. At 5 that evening, Lincoln ate dinner with the governor. At 5.45, Judd came into the room, tapped Lincoln on the shoulder, and Lincoln excused himself from the room. The president gathered his disguise of his own making from his luggage, which consisted of an old overcoat, which I guess looked more like a shawl, and a soft hat that could be folded in his pocket. Of this, Lincoln recounted, I walked out of the house at a back door, bareheaded, without exciting any special curiosity. Then I put on the soft hat and joined my friends without like being recognized. taller than everyone else. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and joined my friends without being recognized by strangers, for I was not the same man. Dude yes, is six he four. He's six four. Everybody else is like five eight. Um, he's six four, and he had Mar fans. Like he's like yeah. tall and lanky. He's out here looking like salad fingers. <laughs> <laughs> they're just like, oh, that's um, a different person. It's like when Clark takes off the glasses. He's like it's a that's different what person. I wrote. Yep. I was like, but I Did guess you? I guess this Clark can't see from hand. This guy's worked. Um, All right. Well. Yep. Lincoln loaded up in his carriage with his bestie, I'm assuming, because it was his self-appointed bodyguard. Um, Lincoln didn't appoint him. This guy was just like, I'm your bodyguard, so I assume it's his bestie. <laughs> what? Yes, I assume it's his it's bestie. Like, I'm um, your bodyguard now. What? Yes. Frank, um, I can beat you in arm wrestling. <laughs> Shut up, Abe. I'm your bodyguard now. Uh, so this guy's name was Frank. Ward 
Hill Lamon. <laughs> of course he um, is. <laughs> who was heavily armed. Um, Lincoln would have to board the train back to Philadelphia on what they called a special, which is basically just a chartered train. Um, but he couldn't stay on a chartered train because that would attract way too much attention. So the train he connected to in Philadelphia and the train from Baltimore to D.C. would have to be public trains. Again, this guy is very tall. His features are very distinct. He has to travel more than 200 miles on this night. And Pinkerton has realized Lincoln will likely not make his connection from Harrisburg train to the 11 o'clock train leaving Philly. So, our friend Felton, Railroad King, directed the conductor to hold the train leaving Philly um, until a courier arrived with a very special package that must make it to the train leaving Baltimore. The package was made to look very important, including a fancy red seal, but it was in fact filled with garbage. Old receipts. Oh. Um, but it did the trick and held the train. All right. Um, but now Lincoln must make his way onto the train, leaving Philadelphia unnoticed. In his disguise. Mm-hmm. This part was left to Kate Warren. Kate found the conductor of the train, leaving Philadelphia, playing a perfect damsel in distress role, told the conductor that she really needed his help. She was traveling with her invalid brother, and they would need a group of spaces at the back of the sleeper car to protect his privacy. The conductor, falling for the routine, or maybe it was just a nice guy, I don't know, but she did give him some money, stood guard at the back of the train to shoo away any passengers that wanted Kate's reserve spaces. During this time, all telegraph lines were cut between Harrisburg and Baltimore should anyone realize what was happening and tried to warn the conspirators. Oh, wow. Yes, ain't nobody calling nobody. Stop. The Secret Service was on it even then. <laughs> yeah. Um, Lincoln arrived in Philadelphia, where Warren met them and ushered Lincoln, his bestie Lamon, and Pinkerton into the train, while another agent dropped off the very special package to the conductor. And they were on their way to Baltimore. All four members, Warren, Lincoln, Pinkerton, and Lamon, went into their sleep compartments, but all of which were separated by just a tiny curtain. Uh, none of them slept. Warren recalled that Lincoln was so very tall that he could not lay straight in his bed. So everyone is very nervous, riddled with concern. Long ass bitch. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Pinkerton cannot stop fidgeting. Lincoln at this time tried to relieve the tension by telling jokes under his breath. <laughs> and I'm really annoyed that none of those jokes were written down somewhere. That's upsetting. <laughs> I know. What were his jokes? I don't know. <laughs> Maybe something about his hat? Or that he was bareheaded? I don't know. I have no idea. But That's apparently so he's there just under his breath whispering jokes. I feel like they the had dark. to be the daddest of dad jokes. <laughs> yeah. Like, I don't I don't know what they are, mm-hmm. but just grade A dad joke Definitely, material. Definitely, 1,000%. Or maybe he's out there telling dirty jokes. Maybe. I don't know. Maybe They're under his breath. I have no idea. Um... At 3.30 in the morning, they arrived in Baltimore. And I guess at this time, if you were on a sleeper car like they were, they would unhitch your car and pull it by horses to the next railway. Um, So here they were on a very slow, mile-long journey through Baltimore. Pinkerton had guessed that Lincoln would be in Baltimore for no more than 45 minutes. However, when their car arrived at the Camden Street Station, their departing train to Washington was delayed. Pinkerton is having a panic attack this time. Lincoln continues to tell jokes. Finally, as dawn approached, their train arrived, 
and their car was coupled onto the outbound train, and at 6 a.m. on February 23rd, Lincoln arrived safely in Washington, D.C., and I can only assume Pinkerton collapsed into a puddle. (laughs) (laughs) Poor Pinky. (laughs) Everyone in Baltimore was mad, big mad. Uh, No one knew how Lincoln escaped them until 1883, well after the war, when Pinkerton recounted his cases. He would later establish a women's wing in the Pinkertons that Kate Warren would lead until her death, sadly at 35, due to pneumonia. But she was buried in the Pinkerton family plot, so I assume she and Pinkerton became close before her death. That's very nice. I thought so too. Um, During the Civil War, Alan Pinkerton served as chief of the Union Intelligence Service in 1861 and 1862. When news of Lincoln's assassination reached him, he wept. He wished he'd been there to protect the president, as he had done in the years before. He presided over the Pinkerton National Detective Agency until his death at age 63 in 1884. And that is the story of the Baltimore plot featuring our first female detective, Kate Warren. I love that. Thank you. So good. I was very excited to tell that story. So I'm glad it went well. And though I, like... Fucked up several of my words, but I don't think you did. I think you did great. Thank you. <laughs> but what a good story! I love Thank that. You. Yeah, I was again. I was gonna do just keep warm, but then I was like, but this one part is just too good to not Fair. talk about. Yeah, and I was like, it made it hell a lot. I'd never heard that story. I know. Well, I guess because everybody kind of knows. Eventually, it doesn't work out. Yeah, but um. But that's still so cool, and, like, not a lot of people know about our first female detective, and I was like, well, she's really interesting, and, yeah, yeah, like, the fact that, like, they ended up establishing an entire wing of, like, women's detectives. Female detectives. They also hired, um, people of color as Mm -hmm. well, um, but it's, like, not, like, all, we don't, like... (sighs) The way it's written down, it's like, it's not all, like, just because it's like, oh, it's nice to do this. It's also, like, they can go where other people can't. Yeah. So it it's, like... It wasn't like we're doing this because it's I mean, maybe, fair and equitable and they should right. be able to work in a profession that they right. choose. Right. I couldn't say how nice Pinkerton actually is. I can't tell if he's just, like, a very shrewd business guy and he's like, I am understanding that these people can go where other people cannot. So that's problematic. Um, but he did become good friends with Kate Warren. So it'd be nice to think that he was a nice guy. We'd, I don't okay. know. All right. Well... We can dream. Um, so full disclosure, guys, I've been drinking most of today. Uh, so if you want to drink along with this story, you should consider either gin or bourbon. (laughs) At this point, I'm going to have water (laughs) and maybe another glass of wine. I will die <laughs> if I switch to another hard liquor because today I have had beer I have had a margarita I came home I had another margarita I had a gin and tonic Yeah. and now I've had red wine it's a lot of mixtures and I'm going to do the responsible thing and have the most adult beverage. Water. And it's water. But if you like drinking along with this podcast, uh, I encourage you grab either a gin-based cocktail or bourbon. A martini she cannot start. Uh, I, 
Yes. <laughs> like yeah. we will. Yes. We will get to that. But yes. yes. So yeah. So. Do do that. I'll keep drinking with you because I'm not driving. Um, we still got our inconspicuous red wine. So yes, I'm here with you. I also delicious. do have water. Um, we go back and forth. Hydrate, people. It's your it's your friend. Be a yeah. hydro homie. <laughs> yes, do that. Um, All but, right. Tell so, me about your story, please. My story. Picture it. <gasps> I'm ready. It's World War Two. Uh, You're. All right. Well, I'm sorry. No, I know. I just <laughs> back in the war again. <laughs> <laughs> back Once in the war. Once unto the breach, dear friends. <laughs> uh. You are a beautiful woman at a party. You are so hot. Oh my oh goodness. Oh my gosh. I, I know exactly what my dress looks like. Yep. It's dark green, my color. Okay. Um, it's going to be like a little sparkly. Uh-huh. Um, I have smoky eyes. Ooh. Yes. All right. I All love right. it. I'm there. I'm ready. You're on an island. <gasps> Ooh. With many important men from high up in the Axis powers. <gasps> Oh, but I remember on my. Yep. Yeah, I need to be on my best behavior. Um, I just became much more Concerned. in control of myself. <laughs> I was easy. I was picturing myself leaning on a bar, just you know, looking at my nails or whatever the fuck. Um, and now I'm sat straight up. Uh, you're, with my eyes forward. You're actually out by yourself. By myself. Looking at the water. <gasps> okay. On this beautiful island. Look it. And you see a man come out of the water. He doesn't see you. He is obscenely handsome. Oh. And in a wetsuit. You're not sure where he came from. Everything is dark. You don't see a boat anywhere nearby. It's very curious. Mm Mm-hmm. So you keep watching. He starts to slowly unzip his wetsuit. Oh, my goodness. And you're like, yes, I am here for this show. (laughs) Give it to me. But under his wetsuit is a perfectly pressed tuxedo that he's wearing. Your show is ruined. I'm so sorry. He walks into the party and blends in. You say nothing. Mm. You alert no one. Hell no. Stitches can't stitch. I ain't talking to nobody. I'll mind my own motherfucking business. That's what I'm going to do. <laughs> in case anyone wondered uh, what Morgan was like as a spy. <laughs> That's exactly it. Um, (laughs) But I know what you're thinking. Lexi, you cannot just rip your intro directly from the opening sequence of the 1959 novel and 1964 film Goldfinger. And to you, I say, yes, I can, because A, fuck you, it's my podcast. And B, (laughs) I am covering British super spy James Bond. Hey. But this is a history podcast. So, I cannot just cover a fictional character as much of, as the fangirl in me would like to. I just watched the most James Bond I've ever watched in my life. Yeah? You telling me it. Oh, okay. Well. <laughs> I've never seen a James Bond movie, guys. I know I need to fix it. I know. We will. I'll go watch Sean Connery slap a bitch right across yep. the face. Uh, Sean Connery is the James Bond in this scene. Okay. Yeah, yeah. No, I've only ever walked in on a James Bond movie playing and that was the scene i saw i was like he coughed all the way back and smacked this lady so hard in her face i was like damn these movies are crazy <laughs> and they are and they are problematic don't don't let oh me oh my you, gosh but I, I was just like wow i love them and all their problematicness that's fair that's fair um but this is a history podcast i cannot just cover a fictional character mm-hmm. 
So, part of writing fiction is real-world inspirations. And today I will be covering The Men Who Would Be Bond, the inspirations for author Ian Fleming and his wildly famous character. Yes. I'm so ready. So, born in 1908. Mm-hmm. Ian Fleming was born the middle child to a barrister and MP who died in the First World War and his wife. Typical middle child syndrome, Ian Fleming is a problem child. <laughs> he has a golden brother who can do no wrong and is so obnoxiously successful we hate him. Uh, his brother, decorated war hero. Ian was a piecemeal journalist. <laughs> uh, that was until 1939 when the Second World War broke out. In 1939, he was recruited to be a personal assistant to Rear Admiral John Godfrey, Director of Naval Intelligence. Fleming had a code name, 17F. He was commissioned as a lieutenant, quickly promoted to lieutenant commander. Despite having no naval experience, his experiences as a journalist abroad came in extremely valuable in the world of intelligence. Uh, But it's widely cited that his most useful trait was his charming personality. The rear admiral he worked under was considered abrasive and was widely disliked. Uh, So he used Fleming's personality to his advantage. He would send him to interface with the other departments, like Mm. MI6 and Special Ops. Mm. This interfacing gave Fleming plenty of exposure to the British intelligence services. Mm. And one of Fleming's co-workers said of him, Fleming is charming to be with, but would sell his own grandmother. (laughs) I like him a lot. All right. Um, And... I don't get, I didn't put it in the story, but, uh, so Ian Fleming, uh, like many troubled authors, gross alcoholic, just yeah. aggressively. Uh, it's to the, also the 40s and right. 30s. Like, yeah, it's a bad time, but also alcohol. after. Um, yeah, oh, well. Totally he doesn't start writing you know, fiction until after the war. Okay. But, uh, he got to the point where he was drinking a bottle of gin a day. And there, his doctor was like, you can't keep doing this. And he is like, but it goes down so easy. <laughs> and his doctor goes, have you tried bourbon? And so that's Ian Fleming switched say. to bourbon. <laughs> um, and that's why those say... are your two options for okay. drinks. For this... uh, yeah, sure. Don't leave it to yeah. a doctor in the whatever 50s at this yeah. point. I assume to be like, have you tried switching to bourbon instead yeah. of gin? Um, and he did. So yeah, uh, that's why those are your drink options. But anyway. <laughs> All right. Um, so, in September of 39, the rear admiral sent a notice. It was called the Trout Memo. Mm. Um, but most people credit Fleming with writing it. Uh, it was a letter that referred to deception operations against the Germans as fly fishing. One of the suggestions in the memo was to plant fake information on a corpse and mm. leave it for the Germans to find. Mm-hmm. This specific operation was called Operation Mincemeat, and it was widely considered a success. Later in the summer of 1941, uh, Fleming traveled with the Rear Admiral Godfrey um, to the U.S., and during the trip, Fleming basically wrote like a how-to guide of how to create an intelligence agency. And wrote it in the U.S., and uh, I believe it was, like, widely used for the startup of our intelligence services here. Nice! 
Nice. That's cool. Um, unfortunately, Godfrey was eventually moved to another post, and Fleming lost his influence. Mm. Uh, Fleming was able to create his own military unit called 30 AU, or the 30 Assault Unit. Mm -hmm. Initially, it contained 30 men. Eventually, it had over 100. Uh, They participated in raids and attacks on German installations uh, to seize whatever intelligence could be found. And Fleming was a commander at this point. He wasn't allowed to participate in the raids, but he was deeply involved in the planning and selecting of targets. Later, after the 30 AU had been removed from Fleming's command, Fleming went on to create the Target Force, or T-Force, which was a unit specialized in obtaining information and records from laboratories and headquarters. In 1945, Fleming was demobilized, but remained a reservist for seven more years. When he left, he told his friends he was going back to writing, and two months later, he would write Casino Royale. Fleming's experiences directly influenced his famous character, James Bond, but let's look at some of the other men also involved in the making of Bond. Okay. So we've already met Rear Admiral Godfrey, mm-hmm. who was said to be the inspiration for M in the Bond books and movies. Okay. I know who that is. Mm-hmm. Okay. Reportedly, Godfrey was 0% flattered or amused. <laughs> he did not appreciate this. Isn't that Judy Dench? Mm-hmm. Well, yep. fuck him. It's Judy Dench. Yep. Yeah. I guess he... it wouldn't have been then. Uh, so the movies came out shortly after the books were written. Yep. Well, but it, it, but it still wouldn't Judy have been Judy Dench. Dench. That's I fair. Imagine. That's fair. I mean, she could have been. She'd be young and hot. She's old and hot. I know. I love Judy Dench. I was going to say, like, uh, yeah. Um, all right. (laughs) Um, the real life man who was named James Bond was not a super spy or even on the government's payroll. Hmm. He was an American ornithologist. A bird watcher? An authority on birds. Fleming saw the name in a book, uh, in the name uh, of a book Bond had published on birds. Fleming was an avid bird watcher himself. (laughs) Of the name choice, he said, I wanted the simplest, dullest, plainest sounding name I could find. James Bond was much better than something more interesting, like Peregrine Carruthers. (laughs) Okay. Exotic things would happen to and around him, but he would be a neutral figure, mm-hmm. an anonymous, blunt instrument wielded by a government department. Okay. The fictional Bond's code name wasn't an accident either. Fleming studied spy history in his time in the Second World War. The iconic name, 007, mm-hmm. was in fact a code British codebreakers deciphered from the Germans in the First World War. <laughs> 007 would be the beginning in a sequence of numbers indicating that whatever followed 007 would be highly classified. Uncovering this was considered one of the greatest moments of British espionage in the First World War. That's very cool. Yes. I'm, that's very cool. <laughs> I'm into it. A Serbian spy named Dusko Popov <laughs> uh, was said to be the inspiration for Casino Royale. He was a notoriously good baccarat player. And was also described as ruthless and seductive. Wow. <laughs> this man of mystery was said to be involved in MI5, MI6, German Avoir, or Avoir? 
uh, the German military intelligence agency from 1920 to 1944. Yeah, MI6 didn't even ex- exist, in quotes, back then. Yeah. Well, yeah. so it's over a span of time. Right, gotcha. No, 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 I'm saying, like, they were, like, <laughs> I don't even know. It's like if someone was, like, saying, like, from CIA 2, and we're like, there is no CIA 2, and they're like, exactly. That's, I <laughs> yes. think that's what I meant. Uh, <laughs> I think. I think. <laughs> um, also involved with the FBI, this man warned J. Edgar Hoover about Pearl Harbor and was dismissed. Oof. I cannot imagine the I told you so. Fuck J. Edgar Hoover for several reasons, man. Yes. All right. Um, and the same man planted false information for Nazis to find about D-Day. That's cool. Um, yeah, no, all of, I, I love all of this. Yeah. Um, there's another man who can be credited as a Bond inspiration uh, that has an equally complex background as Popov. Uh, he's a Canadian man mm-hmm. named Sir William Stevenson. Mm-hmm. He was a boxing champion, a World War One ace pilot, which an ace pilot is a pilot uh, credited with shooting down five or more enemy aircraft in combat. Oh, wow. Uh, he was an inventor. A millionaire businessman, and became a super spy for British intelligence. Damn, that's quite the resume. I assume he didn't have friends, <laughs> right? But <laughs> you don't have time. Just yeah, but impressive. Yeah, incredibly. Another credited person is a spy known only by his code name, White Rabbit, who oh. escaped Russian capi- captivity in World War One and evaded capture by the Nazis by hiding in the back of a hearse. Yet another inspiration was a spy who deserves his whole own story that I'm not going to get into. We can another time. We can. His name is, uh, uh I'm going to try real hard not to butcher it. It's Peter Tazelar, maybe? Okay. Um, during World War II, he was the very sexy man you saw crawl out of the water. <gasps> he was... He was Delicious. dropped in a special wetsuit for an operation. He gets to shore, takes off his wetsuit, and reveals his perfectly crisp that, tuxedo yeah, that is, ready to party. That is very specialized because wetsuits, I think people think you say a lot of times, like, dry underneath. You and don't. You don't. You, it's, it's just meant to keep, it like, was like, this was water just like a rubber the, suit. Okay. So it was very, it's meant to be, like, specially waterproof. Mm-hmm. That's mm-hmm. really cool. Yeah. So he's, like, extra glistening when he yeah. comes out of the water. Yeah, because he's sweaty as Looking fuck. like fucking Aquaman. But so sweaty, because <laughs> yeah, can you probably. imagine just a rubber suit? Yeah. Oh! So warm. Yeah. But, ready to party. Um, And, again, if you've not read the books or seen the movies, that is the scene that is directly cut from Goldfinger, mm-hmm. uh, which is Fleming's seventh novel, uh, which also featured an antagonist named Auric Goldfinger. Mm-hmm. He was based on a Hungarian architect named Erno Goldfinger. Whom Fleming intensely disliked. I always thought that was such a weird fucking name, but now I guess it makes sense if it's, it's real. Like he, he just wanted to call out somebody he actually disliked. Yep. <laughs> that makes sense. When the real Goldfinger found out that his name was lent <laughs> to be a villain, uh, he tried to sue the publisher. Oh. Fleming petitioned the publisher to change the name to Gold Prick. <laughs> they declined. <laughs> like, sure, we can change it. That's fine. Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh, that's funny. Lessons to be learned in this life. Don't piss off authors. You will end up in their books. <laughs> yes, you will. I don't think any mention of Ian Fleming and his inspirations for Bond is complete without mentioning Fleming's cousin, another real-life spy and fantastic actor, Christopher Lee. Yes. 
prior to playing Saruman in Lord of the Rings. Mm-hmm. And Dracula. It, yes. And <gasps> before his acting career ever kicked off, he was in the RAF. I forgot that you fucking told me this art. Oh, I'm just getting excited <laughs> all over again. Okay. He enlisted in 1940, working in intelligence alongside his cousin Fleming, decoding German ciphers. Later, he was moved to North Africa for in the Long Range Desert Group, a precursor to the Special Air Services. Um, Lee went from Egypt to Benghazi, mm-hmm. going behind enemy lines to sabotage em- enemy aircraft. That's so cool. Yeah. After working with the LRDG, the Long Range Desert, whatever, mm-hmm. uh, Lee was assigned to the Special Operations Executive, mm-hmm. uh, conducting espionage, sabotage, and recon in occupied Europe against the Axis powers. For the last months of his service, Lee was tasked with tracking down Nazi war criminals alongside the Central Registry of War Criminals and Security Suspects. He saw Nazi concentration camps firsthand. Oh, why don't we talk about this more? It should be common knowledge. Yep. He's quoted as saying, I've seen many men die right in front of me, so many in fact that I've become almost hardened to it. Having seen the worst that human beings can do to each other, the results of torture, mutilation, seeing someone blown to pieces by a bomb, you develop a kind of shell, but you had to. You had to. Otherwise, we never would have won. Yeah. Although Lee was always reluctant to talk about his time in the war and was unable to talk about many specific instances, Mm -hmm, uh, he was individually decorated by the Czech, Yugoslav, British and Polish governments. How do I not know this? Well, you do now. Well, I do now, and it's so cool. Okay. Um, there is a part in the, I think it's in the director's commentary for Lord of the Rings, the special extended edition, uh, where Saruman is stabbed in the back, um, and the director was telling Lee, he's like, you need to yell, you've just been stabbed, you need to scream. Uh, and Lee ever so calmly looks at him in the face and goes, no, you don't. You gasp. You struggle to catch your breath. You've obviously never been stabbed. Oh. Okay, sorry. It was uh, like, my face was doing like a yep. weird contortion of <laughs> yep. faces. Like, uh, it was more like every next word you said, my face twitched slightly more off of kilter. Yep. Okay. Uh, at which point the director realized Lee was a real one and decided <laughs> to let him act however the hell he He's wanted. Like, you know what? You're right. You you're probably, right. You know what you're doing. Don't let me... Stop you. Yep. Um, uh, action. <laughs> and now, just because this is my podcast and I can, I'm going to have my own mini fangirl rant spree of Christopher Lee. He was fluent in six languages. He participated in more on-screen sword fights than any actor in history. He was a trained opera singer. He was friends with the men who assassinated Rasputin. And... He released a power metal album at 88 years old, and the entire album was about Charlemagne, from whom he is descended. What? Yep. I also want to add that he had the best eyebrows in the business. He did. <laughs> That's why he got, it's probably why he got the Dracula role, because he got the yep. big-ass eyebrows. He also cape. is credited with cementing, like, in, uh, I think, like, public, just mind, mm-hmm. like, the, the collective brain. Of everyone uh, that vampires have fangs. It's from his portrayal of Dracula. Oh, okay, that's cool. I didn't know yeah. that. Damn. Um, so that concludes my rant on Christopher He's Lee. He's so cool. Um, and 
I love Lord of the Rings. Like I already, like I walked into this room thinking Christopher Lee was really really cool. Uh huh. <laughs> and I'm gonna leave this room being a way bigger fangirl. I'm really sorry that he's not with us anymore. Yep. I would like to go. I think he see passed him. in 2015. Yeah. Was it that long ago it already? Was. I believe so. So that Wild. that's my rant, and that friends are the men who would contribute to be Bond. What a great story. I love that. I'm glad. <laughs> I and you've never that. even seen a James I've Bond never... movie. Well, but I did see that show. I did make you watch. Yeah, so there is a show, it's and it's really called good. The Man Who Would Be Bond, and it uh, dr- dramatically, and I think gives him more credit, but uh, it's Ian Fleming's life and the experiences that he had that led to him writing Bond. Yeah, it's really, really good. I've seen all of that and never any of the James Bond movies. Yeah. I've so. only ever seen little clips of them. Like they're, from, they're all probably all trailers, like because I've seen the part where Halle Berry walks out of the ocean. Yeah, yeah, that's a good one. Um, Honestly, the movie's not I think great, that was but probably, like Halle Berry, just right. I think that was probably just all of the trailer was Halle Berry <laughs> walking out of the ocean. I know the Judy Dench is M. I know the different actors, probably not all of them, but a fair few. Yeah. Um, well, anytime you want to have a James Bond marathon, girl, I'm we here. should watch some. What's your favorite one? Or you can give me, like, a top couple of, if... I love Goldfinger, but also... Who was your favorite Bond? Uh, ooh. Uh, so, Sean Connery, first. That's fine. Um, and then Pierce Brosnan, second. That's fine. Um, uh, I, I can't I can't argue with you. <laughs> I, I would have to argue I with you only adore on... adore Sean Connery. Um, ridiculous fact about me. Um, once upon a time, I was previously married. Uh, that did not work out. However... Uh, our honeymoon yeah. was selected because uh, our honeymoon location, we went to Jamaica um, and we stayed at the resort where Dr. No was filmed. That's cool. And it was like right next to Sean Connery's property. Oh, but yeah. they didn't tell us until the last day, which was probably fair <laughs> because they had kayaks they would rent out to us. And I absolutely would have trespassed on private property <laughs> had I known that like a minute earlier. Uh-huh. Um, so probably for the best. Yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah, so I'm like, that's cool though. A little bit of a fan, we'll but to... Dr. No is also such a, uh, well, I just have to watch like whatever your favorite one is. What's the one where you smacks that lady really hard. She's like at the pool. I don't know how to tell you. They probably slap a lot of women <laughs> in those movies. It's not James Bond. I love it. It is extremely problematic for its portrayal of women. Oh. It is problematic AF. You have to go in watching it and be like, it was the 60s. Was... Ian Fleming was also problematic in his treatment of women. He was very much a playboy. He was married. Uh, he It's gone on record. I want to say his wife's name was Anne, maybe. Mm-hmm. Uh, they had... They had like this very like hot, sexy relationship. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then she got pregnant and got stretch marks. And that was the last time he touched her. Like he, they are problematic people. I love the stories. Gotcha. um, But they, they are problematic. Like if you like spy stuff, which I do. Yeah. I mean, I imagine it's probably, it's good. It's just, you just have to be aware that it is. Maybe I'll watch it. No, actually I'd like to watch it with you. Cause I, I'll be here. If you want to come back over, I will gladly pop on Dr. No. I always love watching like a favorite movie with somebody who's never watched it for the first time. It feels like you're watching it for the first time. That's I don't funny. know if that's just me, but like if I have watched like a show or a movie and I know it inside now, but if I'm watching like Jurassic Park with somebody and they've never seen it, it's like watching it again. 
for the first time because you're like Fair. watching you're like feeling them see everything for the first time and it's so yeah. cool it's it's a really good series i well not series kind of series kind of i guess series, it's a series i guess um but and then for all of the as good as the movies are the books are better also i think it's hilarious i think they added it up i was reading and in all of all of the movies collectively james bond drinks one third the number of drinks he should have drank in those books <laughs> like from the books like look he is so sober that's fun in these movies compared to james bond in the books but also that's the problematic thing they cut <laughs> that, that was it they were like oh that's because a... he just drinks like a little too much that's a lot Can of we have any more scenes where he like smacks Halle berry on the face <laughs> I don't know. No, so I think by the 90s think, they had yeah, paced yeah, that so. out. Wasn't Eva Green a Bond girl once? Yeah. I want to watch that one. I like Okay. I like. That's one of the new ones. That's with Daniel Craig, but it's fantastic. Look, no, we don't suck teeth at Daniel Craig. Oh, okay. He is also lovely. I uh, guess. Like, he's not Sean Connery, but he's, he's great. He's just really unattractive. Well, see him as Bond. See how you feel. <laughs> fair enough. Fair enough. Um... um Okay. Well, that's cool. I'm very excited. Thank you for that. If for nothing else, uh, the Christopher Lee part is that like, <laughs> I'm like, let's go watch Lord of the Rings. So right I now. almost did all like I wanted to do all of Christopher Lee, but then I was like, I got to do Bond. It makes I sense. have to do it Bond. It makes sense. And Ian Fleming, like I, I love authors. I love author yeah. like yes. bios and their stories and how it like translates into their writing. I love that. Like that's one of my favorite things. Mm-hmm. But uh and I love Bond. But I then I remember I was reading and I was like, oh fuck, they were cousins. Yeah. So that's I could wild. just stitch that in together. Yeah. Tie that up with a nice little bow. I yeah. think you did. I was very, very jazzed about it. But also Perfect. Christopher Lee was the fucking man. He really was. And Damn. I don't like all other men, in case you were wondering <laughs> what your fucking standard is you're trying to meet. You want to be Christopher Lee? Uh, you, you gotta... You you're like, women be one baby. too much! <laughs> Disney didn't give us unreasonable standards of men, Lord of the Rings did. <laughs> yes, it did. It really so did. So if you cannot speak six languages, <laughs> on-screen sword fight realistically, become a professional opera singer, also save the world God knows how many times, blow up a plane... Befriend the people who murdered Rasputin and release a fucking power metal album at 88 years old. We don't want to talk to you. Try harder. Work on yourself. Be thank you. Better. Oh my god. But we gosh. do love you. <laughs> All right, guys. Uh, thank you so much for hanging out with us. You can find us at Patreon.com/slash/HistoryWoes. You can find us uh, on Instagram at HistoryHoes. History, uh, history woes, woes. Oh, with the W, with the woes, <laughs> W. Um, and um, our link tree is there where you can find us. Uh, all of our our podcasts, our podcasts are everywhere: Google, Stitcher, Apple, Apple. and Spotify. Um, thanks, guys, so much. We'll thanks. see you next time. Uh, check out our TikTok, maybe. Oh, and, yeah, check it out. Uh, I don't know. Troll me or don't. I don't know. Um, yeah, <laughs> thank you guys nice so time. much for listening. We can't wait to talk to you again. Bye. Bye.